0: Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged on Boxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's
1: Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the show. We have some fun things to talk about on this Episode and somebody very fun to visit with. We're going to be previewing the uh, August 1st show that uh, Showtime is doing uh, in boxing, the first trip back for Showtime since the pandemic started. And it is the beginning of a long run of shows all the way through December 12th. And I'm going to be telling you specifically about what you're going to be seeing uh, on Saturday night, August 1st. Also, we're going to get to visit with a man who is not only filled with boxing knowledge, but one of the most entertaining and fun guys um, that, uh, that you could ever imagine hearing. His name is Dave Bontempo. So we're going to visit with Dave as well on the show. And as always, uh, we do it with my friend and partner, Mr. Tripp Mitchell. Tripp, how are you today? You get, you're get back from a nice vacation, so I assume yes. you rested and ready to go.
0: I am so ready to go, but I don't have a collared shirt. I didn't pack as well as I should have.
1: Ah, all right. Well, I'm sorry. Then now, Adrian Broner is going to be my new co-host.
0: <laughs> I went down to the Tux Rental Store, and unfortunately, they couldn't get me one for today. So they didn't have one next week.
1: Yeah. All right, next week you'll next week you'll have it. Um, well, I am not traveling for a vacation, but uh, I'm going to finally be back in action.
0: Well, it it is amazing, and we went over on last week's show. We had a scoop. With Showtime schedule up through the end of the year, and it is really happening. One of the thoughts I'm having, just as we're taping today, it's we're finding out that some Major League Baseball teams are having some challenges. In basketball, a couple of guys escaped, <laughs> one of which went to a strip club for dinner. We won't get into that, but in <laughs> boxing fighters are used to having a lot more discipline than other sports when they go into training camp and you being a former fighter yourself and covering it do you think that boxing has a better chance of getting through this period than other sports
1: well there were a few you know when the top rank series was on they had a couple of fighters that tested positive for the pandemic so I think you're likely to find that but I that's a very interesting point you're raising boxers are it's a more solitary sport and they do go into their cocoon to, to train. So you would hope that, you know, that, uh, they would be less, um, susceptible to that. Um, but we'll have to see, you know, as we said, there were a couple of people that had to fall out of top rank cards I'm keeping my fingers crossed that during this long run of, uh, showtime boxing that we, um, that we're going to come out unscathed. And I, um, I have to rem- now the big question is, will I remember, how to get to a terminal for a flight. Um, (laughs) Will I I remember how to write the keys to victory? Uh, Do you know how many minutes in a round? There are a lot of challenges to me now after what five months of no, as the longest time, of course, in my, in the last 40 years. And this is a fact that I have not been on an airplane and the longest time I have not called a boxing match. So we'll see if I anything about those. The Showtime will send out the corporate jet for you, I hope. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's on the tarmac as we speak, literally <laughs> waiting for me. You know, it'll be out there for a couple of days just in case I decide to leave early. Yeah, that's that's well, for sure.
0: Great to see that they take care of their important people. So exactly, So you've got an yes. interesting the, fight the coming the Private jet from, is
1: there for me. Yeah.
0: And Fulton and, and Leo.
1: Fixing on tap.
0: Okay. The Fulton Leo fight uh is going to be leo fight is going to be interesting and and that's a great way to start up your season
1: it really is stephen fulton jr and uh, angelo leo uh two fighters who uh are fighting now for the vacant uh, wbo um uh 100 uh, junior bantamweight championship and uh they are both undefeated. Uh, Fulton is 18 and zero, and, uh, Angela Leo is 19 and zero, and they are both similar as fighters and both extraordinarily skilled. I mean, this is a dead, even fight. Uh, There is, I think you could, if you took 10 boxing people that watch these, these two fighters, I think you'd probably have five picking one and five picking the other. And they, uh, they also have similar styles. Um, you know, they both like to control the pace of a fight. They're not huge volume punchers. They both have thunderous left hooks, and they both score knockdowns with that left hook to the body, which is interesting. Then In the last fight that Stephen Fulton had, he scored a knockout with the left hook to the body. So both men are extremely good body punchers, and they um they have power in spots, even though Fulton only has 8 KOs in his 18 fights and Leo only has 9 KOs in his 19, they still have power. So even though on paper this fight looks like it's bound to go 12 rounds, uh, not necessarily the case. Uh, it is, it is a, a to me, a fascinating a match to watch because both these young men have lots of skill, and they're highly motivated, of course, to try and win this fight to win – their first championship. Now, no matter how this fight goes on August 1st, both of these men will be players in boxing for quite a while, whether it's at that division or higher divisions. Um, One loss, if there is a loss, uh, assuming it's not a draw, uh, is not going to derail the career of either man, but it certainly will um, knock down their chances uh, of having a title in the near future. But it's, it's, it's a, a main event that I know there are probably a lot of, even, uh, you know, pretty active boxing fans who may not know who these two fighters are, but I'm here to tell you that they are excellent, and that is an excellent matchup.
0: Sounds like a great way to kick off the Showtime series in a, another fight, Williams-Aleem. You're excited about that as well.
1: Yeah, Tremaine Williams and Rais Salim, And, you know, Williams, a 27-year-old, Alim, a 30-year-old. So, They're well into their boxing career, but you have to look at them still as kind of prospects because they haven't had a major match yet. This is their coming out party against each other. Uh, They fought good competition, but not a match that was an eliminator like this one is a title eliminator fight. Uh, Williams is uh, 16-0, the 27-year-old, who uh, is from New Haven, Connecticut, and he is a left-hander with power and speed uh, and a fighter that is explosive. When you watch him, it's as if all of a sudden out of nowhere, he's reeling off a 12 punch combination and you're kind of sitting back amazed. Uh, He knocked out William Gonzalez, a good fighter uh, in the very first round uh, in a, in a fight recently. And, uh, and he is a, very, very talented young man. Now, Rais Salim is a fighter that I've gotten a chance to see on several occasions. I called one of his fights last year, um, that he did in Philadelphia and he is training out in Las Vegas here, uh, where he is, is, is this is now his home base. He is also like Williams very, very, uh, fast in terms of his feet and his hands. And he also has bursts of power. So, uh, Aleem is a fighter that I said is a man that has a good chance to win a world title. We're going to find out here because a lot's at stake for these men. You know, Aleem is 30 years of age. Uh, William's 27, which isn't that old, but but you're starting to get to the point where you want to get your shot at a world title. Uh, and so they, they have a lot on the line in this match, and we'll see which one comes out unscathed. I, I tell you, this one also, like the um, Fulton – uh, Leo fight is 50-50. Uh, I, if, you know, if you put a gun to my head, I'd have a hard time making a selection uh, of who would win this fight. And speaking of a 50-50 fight, the third fight on our card is a battle of light heavyweights, a rematch, Joe George and Marcos Escadero. Joe George won against Escadero. They were both 10-0 coming into the fight, but this was last November, but uh, Escadero was the favorite in the fight. Joe George performed very, very well. It was a very interesting and exciting matchup and and Joe George won a split decision. So clearly, those two fighters, those two light heavyweights, come into this match uh, with a history that tells us this is a fight that is going to be extremely close. So I could not be happier with the first uh, n- card that we're going to have on Showtime coming out of the box uh, to. Uh, get back into the sport of boxing and I think it's going to be a lot of fun and uh if I can remember what is a left hook and what is an overhand <laughs> right we're going to be we're going to be fine um a gentleman a gentleman who does know uh what those two punches are and has called many many a fight in which he's used those terms is a, a gentleman who is was a very fine writer uh, in boxing, he worked for the Atlantic City Press newspaper and covered boxing for a number of other publications and then became a broadcaster and started his broadcasting career with me in the early 1980s on ESPN, where oftentimes he would work as a color analyst when I did play-by-play if I switched over to that seat. And for about two years, we worked together as uh, partners. In that configuration, then Dave also worked as the interviewer on our top-ranked boxing series, and I've done many pay-per-view shows with him as well. He's one of my best friends uh, in life, and a very unique man. And you're going to get a kick out of hearing this interview. Here it is with Dave Bontempo. Dave, it is great to get a chance to chat with you. Uh, We have spent many a year uh, doing boxing together, and uh, as friends, and uh, this podcast would not be complete if I didn't get you on as a guest. I would feel incomplete. Well,
2: I, I appreciate that, and, and, and this is absolutely true. You know, you and I go back, uh, yeah, to the nineteen eighties. And uh, you know, somebody on um, uh, Twitter just inquired last night, "Hey, uh, when you know, I see you and Al and those guys. Were you guys? Uh, did you hang out after the shows mm-hmm. to do stuff?" I said, "We sure did." I mean, yeah. you, people don't realize. Uh, you, you know, how uh,
1: intertwined our experiences were. I, I told him about our hockey games that we would play. <laughs> during we used to play, uh, play it at the uh, Resorts International after the yes. weigh-ins and after the fighter meetings. They had a table hockey game there in their game center, and you and I would play endlessly.
2: We would play endlessly, waiting for
1: 2 o'clock when you could have a Coke. Yes, that's right. They had a they rule never was, that you couldn't have a Coca-Cola before two o'clock in the buffet. I mean.
2: So And then, and then, after, and then all the, uh, yeah, after the fights, how we would, how we would sit around and have a, uh, uh, you know, have a drink and recount everything. And we were watching the formation of, of uh, the ESPN and the television business. And then it morphed right. out to, uh, you know, to, to being with your family and seeing Wes grow up. So, it is a wonderful
1: thing, my friend. I value this very much. Uh, me too. And, you know, you you just hit on something that, uh, that you know, is really important. When you and I were doing those shows in the 1980s, uh, and I believe we started when we were 10 years old. Am I correct? I, I think that was it. Um, <laughs> but we, when we were doing those shows in the uh, 1980s, it, did we lose Dave? I, 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 just, I just lost a lot of your, uh, audio. Okay. Uh, let me start up again with that question. Said, I'll start up yeah, okay. with that question when we did, can you hear me now?
2: I, you know what happened? It sounded like music came in, in the middle, wh- while you were talking and then yeah. I, and then I lost you. It's probably his Wi-Fi
1: connection. Yeah. Okay, let's, I'll try again, I'll ask that question, when we, you hit on something important, because I think we had Dave up to that point, didn't we? Yes. I'll say, when we did those shows, okay, and then you can make an editor. Okay, here we go. Three, two. When we did those shows in the 1980s, uh, ESPN was very much, as you alluded to, in its embryonic stages, and people would be surprised to know the bare bones uh, production that we had, and how we had to fend for ourselves in almost every conceivable way, whether it was tracking down fighters just to see if we could interview them to find out a little bit more about them, about the broadcast, to everything else. It was not exactly uh, a, a plush atmosphere of uh, amenities when it came to doing production. No, Al, we started out with,
2: uh, I remember the, the weigh ins that you and I would do at eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And we would have, we'd ask the guy, what's your record? Oh, it's like about 10 and 1. How was your last fight? It was pretty good. <laughs> uh, how did you do? Well, I beat the Venezuelan guy. Uh, well, which guy was that? Hey, Louis, how do you spell the Venezuelan guy's name? Uh, was he the righty or the lefty? Well, he was that guy you fought. Remember when you went down uh, overseas a couple of years ago? That was his brother, remember? We would hear these conversations.
1: I, I, and we had to turn that into actionable intelligence yeah. on the air. Hey. Wait, I realize that's a good point. We were like intel agents, weren't we? We we, we were. We, 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 anybody anybody who could give you
2: uh, somebody's line by line record was an informant. So <laughs> we, we, we we you know I mean you look you look at all the information on the uh. internet. How everything is so fast, we really would we would really have to struggle, or, or God forbid someone 's yeah. name was uh, oh yeah, incredible and, and, but, was, you know, we were good
1: journalists as a result of that. I mean, we worked hard with that well, you know, it speaks to something interesting number one, that was still in the age of faxes, right We used to get faxes about these fighters when they had information, and you 're right, once we met with them, it was a it was an, a, you know an information seeking uh, Situation. Uh, And the funny thing about that is that we didn't, we were not, we were given almost nothing. Like we literally, it was just ferreting out what you could ferret out about them. Uh, And, and we, we, we had to do, oh, and the other point about it is that you and I both, you, of course, were a terrific journalist. And when you started at ESPN, we're still writing for the Atlantic City newspaper. Uh, And by the way, uh, I mentioned leading into this, you remember the Atlantic City uh, Hall of Fame in boxing, rightfully so. And part of that was also your great writing career, um, writing about boxing. But so You were a journalist. I was, uh, you know, a newspaper man and a magazine writer prior to getting with ESPN. So that part of our background served us well in that instance, didn't it? It it
2: did. And not only at the weigh-ins, but here was something I was thinking about recently, too, that when we would speak on the air, didn't we just grasp as newspaper people that basically this is how much time you have to speak? This is what 20 seconds feels right, like. That's right. This is what 15 seconds feels like. You can't, you can't talk over your other announcer right. or try to make a point for a minute because you only have a little bit of time. And, and patterning our concepts and our, and our thought patterns around what we're seeing in the ring. And no, Oh, I have to get out here. This is where the blow-by-blow blow person comes in. Uh, get the one line in and get out. Uh, I, I think that helped us a lot in, in how we delivered, uh, what we were saying too.
1: I agree. And in, in, when you're writing a newspaper story on a boxing or even a magazine piece where you have a certain amount of words, you, you can't go on forever. And so you're right. It teaches you to do these things in bite-sized hunks, which is what it's supposed to be in, in broadcasting for sure. Um, and in those 1980s when we did those, uh, those uh, shows, we did, uh, what were fun boxing matches with a lot of characters. You know, we ran into both inside and outside the ring. We ran into some just hysterical people that were created by Damon Runyon, right? Yes, we did. Hey,
2: boxing is good for that. And, and we ran into a bevy of those people.
1: Yes. My God. I mean, all the way from Kenny Bogner, Kenny Bang Bang Bogner, who in the ring at one point said, I didn't hear one time I was interviewing him and he couldn't hear and He said, I didn't hear an effing word you said. <laughs> not live <on> TV. <clears throat> and all the managers and all the, uh, you know, the, the, the people. And these botchers were guys that were making their way in the sport. They were not stars by any stretch.
2: No, I think that's what helped uh, in, in terms of, like, the raw feelings that came out. There was a, a manager by the name of Bob Botto who had yes. Mike Machine Gun Mungin and Johnny Carter and everything. Yes. And, and he was trying to get publicity for uh, a heavyweight by the name of Randy Mack. And uh, the journalists weren't going for it then. And he goes... You guys wait. You're going to beg me to interview Randy Mack. You 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 hear what I'm saying? You're going to beg me to interview Randy Mack. And what I really loved about the boxing characters is at the same time, I I would go up and cover a Phillies game three or uh, four days later. And and it's a very corporate environment where everybody measures their words and they know how this is being disseminated. (laughs) But boxing, it it, it comes from the hip. and, and, And that's what really creates the entertainment of it. Um, yeah, you know, or Hector Camacho saying, you know, Davey, if it wasn't
1: for me, he'd be working at McDonald's. I'm like, <laughs> okay, I, I'm not going to get that in a baseball game. No, you will not, not when you're interviewing baseball players in the clubhouse. And didn't Bob Botto own a sausage factory, uh, if I'm not yes. mistaken? In
2: fact, he did, and uh, he opened his, his, his descendants opened uh, a Botto sausage factory about two years ago in Ocean City. Uh, which is right near me, and I walked in, and I started telling some Bob Botto oh. stories. It was their grandfather, and 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 of course the uh, uh, the the incidents were changed to protect the incident. Yeah. Innocent. <laughs> I, yeah, I, 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 I made up him out
1: to bit. be,
2: I made him out to be very clean cut, and uh, and, and that was an edit. Uh, and they uh, they 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 were delighted uh, at, at that, but but he was to me one of the great
1: uh, the great characters. He was funny. And yeah. how about when you'd walk into a restaurant, like we'd go into a, a, a um the coffee shop there to have breakfast, and if he was sitting, oh, ten tables over, and he saw you, he would get up and in this loud booming voice, oh Bernstein, Dave Bontempo, the whole place could hear yeah. him like like greet you, uh, as he came in. Um, he we had did... his own zip code.
2: Yeah, he did have his yeah. own zip code. <laughs>
1: We did uh, great fights, you and I, and one of the one of the fights that we did, um, and we had Teresa Tapia on the show a few weeks ago, along with Paul Zanon, who wrote a very fine book, The Ghost of Johnny Tapia, and you and I uh, were privileged to do the fight in which uh, Johnny Tapia won the world title against Henry Martinez after his coming all the way back from his uh, uh, his terrible bouts with. Uh, alcoholism and uh, literally living on the street. I'm thinking that had to be for you. It was for me anyway, uh, one of the, one of the most stellar nights of doing boxing. It was, it, it, in this, uh, I think it was like October
2: of 94, somewhere in that period, you and I did it at the pit in yeah. uh, New Mexico and uh, the Johnny Tapia uh, fan base uh, was what was all behind them. Uh, you know, and this is uh, one thing about a boxer in his own neighborhood uh, w- with his uh, legion of fans. It was a great night for us, and I remember something that you said. Uh, we're talking about journalists and letting the scene speak. You know, we're all up into the excitement, and then when Johnny Tapia won, you just put your hand down, like like no, no speaking, and then you just said, "Johnny Tapia has come all the way back." I, I love that because it was a, a nice uh, way to let the scene speak. And it also, it, that event kicked off a long run for you and
1: I on ESPN, that particular yeah. night. That's true. And yeah, that's interesting you said that. You know, I do think that in those cases, less is more. And uh, and you and I worked from that theory. You know, uh, one of the joys of working with you um, was that we we knew how to let the action breathe. Uh, and And we would say what we needed to say, but we were happy to let the action breathe. And I I think that's really the way to do boxing. And you uh, have, over your long career, done both play-by-play and analysis, as I have. Uh, When you were making a transition into doing play-by-play, what were you thinking about in terms of the way you wanted to approach it?
2: background was to say okay what does this viewer want to know that they're not going to get from the analyst and what they want to know was where you are Mm -hmm. what are the records of the what title are they fighting for if if you're now in the fourth round what happened in the first three rounds of the fight in case they just joined us what is the background of the fight how can you link it in and you're always getting these uh the these lines in but you you are you are setting the scene and and i think that uh, like say if, if someone's walking in from his dressing room and you see his you see his manager with him and, and and you have a certain amount of time to recount something that happened during the week with his manager and him and somebody else but but get it in and you are you are building drama for people who can't see the drama which they're going to see after the fight starts so i always liked to approach it from
1: Yeah, that's uh, that's very well put and that is a uh what Dave just gave you was a primer on the way it's supposed to be done. Uh and uh and you certainly did do that for sure. Um and when you started doing play by play, uh did you find that you enjoyed it as much or more than being an analyst? Yeah, I enjoyed them. I felt it was a different type of band.
2: In our business, that I ended up having to do a lot of fights alone because, oh, guess what? You can handle both roles. You will now do them. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but, but I did like I did like the idea of setting up a story and then being able to follow through on the yeah. story. So there was a lot of joy in that. And, and I'll tell you what did help uh, after the uh, the journalism days and the weigh-in days we referred to.
1: We lost his link. He, he's coming in and out. Yeah, we lost his feed there. Yeah. Yeah, it's still gone. Here, here, okay, now he's back. Let's see if we get him back. I'm yeah, he's work. back. He's back now. You back, yeah. Dave? Yeah. On my phone. You there now? All right, let me let me re-ask that question, and I'll, I'll, I'll um, pretty soon I'll let you go because the connection's kind of tough. Let me re-ask that question about uh, broadcasting, okay? Are you there? Yeah, dude, do, do, do you hear me now? Yeah, now I can hear you. All right, let me okay. re ask that question and you can, um, uh, that, that way he'll give him a clean edit. Okay, when you sure. start, okay, here we go three, two. When you started doing the play by play, and uh, in addition to color, but when you moved over and started in that role, what was your approach to it? I like to
2: take the uh, information approach that uh, we've spoken about and, you know, what does the viewer want to know? What title are you going for? What round are you in? What are the records of the fighters? What have you seen so far? If you're in the fourth round, set the stage, has somebody been knocked down yet? Has somebody been cut? Has there been any type of a particular development within that fight that you connect to what you are saying now? Uh, and, and to build the drama that the uh, is going to then be, you know, amplified by what you say later. In that regard, not only doing that, but you know, a lot of research uh, has come out of that because you want to go back and and maybe know how many fights uh, a guy has done a certain way, what type of opponent you mm-hmm. faced, and that's where the uh, application of youtube has been enormously helpful yes. remember we used to have to call the networks and say hey could you give me tapes on this guy yeah. oh we would have to do that now, now you go on to youtube and what i love in, in looking at guys fights is i'm looking at a particular point i can i can bring that back and and look at i can look at a jab five or six times i can right. look at all times. what happened just before where were the feet placed how why did he land that punch There's something that we can see in that that we could never even see when when being sent to us. And it does, it does lend a a lot more enjoyment to the sport. And and I think we have a responsibility uh, uh, to bring that to it. So I I think there's a lot more uh, stage setting uh, when when you do the play by play role or the blow by blow role for us.
1: If uh, Dave just gave uh, everybody a primer on the exact correct way to do that. Um, And what he didn't say was you don't sit there and tell stories for three minutes. Um, You don't sit there and get in a debate with your analyst for two and a half minutes. Uh, Those are not the ways you do play by play. (laughs) The way you do it is the way Dave Bontempo just said it. Uh, But that's another story for another day. Uh, You have, uh, over the course of a long career, uh, seen so much in boxing. What are some of the things that you think uh, have changed dramatically in the sport? That, for either the good or the bad, that you think are, are are kind of not game changers, but things that have really altered it.
2: Well, I mean, you start with the technical things like the uh, you know the, the pay per view era and what that meant, and now we are into the live streaming era. Yeah. Right. It, it, uh, you know all the fights can be broadcast, and everybody can see everything uh, we are in an in, in an intense information age, so when we do something uh, you know we 're talking to people who have maybe gotten vibes from you know maybe hundreds of websites that that right. they are now forming an opinion on, so you are talking into that, so I think there's more heightened awareness i, I you know i think uh, and I, I think people like uh uh, regardless of the business deals, I think the like when PBC came on in 2015 and when Matchroom came on now, uh, they are giving fans a lot more fights inside the top 10, uh, which they can relate to. There are more meaningful fights. It has caused uh, topsy turvy in our business as far as you know contracts and different people and this and that, but it has helped the fans. I would say the thing that's a negative and a drawback is uh, you know the age of Twitter and the age of people demanding instant feedback from what yeah. they just said on the air. I was with a guy once uh, about five or six years ago, and uh, we got done talking, and I turned to him to see what was gonna, we were going to talk the next round and say, hey, set me up for this. I'll set you up for that. And he's staring at his phone to see what kind of feedback he just got from what he said. And <laughs> I, I believe, I, I think some announcers are reacting to this. Like, say, say you really gush about a fight right. or maybe count on something. You see these Twitter uh, reactions in in the round after, and what happens is I'm hearing announcers reacting to what they saw on Twitter, and yes. so now they're patterning they're patterning their comments to the audience instead of leading their audience. I think that is a very
1: that's thing. a fascinating point, and there are more than a few. Uh, announcers that are literally on Twitter as they're doing the fights, which has hard. I mean, I have on occasion, I will say in between fights, as a way of promotion, gone on okay. and, and done a tweet that says, Hey, our main event is coming up, whatever. Uh, but I'm certainly not going to sit there and be on Twitter, uh, you know, uh, taking the comments as we go. But that is a fascinating point. That is something that you, we could never have foreseen back in those days when we were, the, doing the boxing, uh, you know, the early days of V.S. Penn, that would not be something you could ever, uh, ever imagine even happening. Uh, you, you have done the sport for many different outlets. And, and I mentioned that you're of course a great writer and you continue to this day to write for so many different outlets. One of the things that I find about fascinating about you is you're a very eclectic writer. You write about gaming, you write about all sports. Uh, you, does it make you, uh, for as a as a communicator, do you like the idea of doing a variety of things?
2: I, I really do. Uh, there's a challenge to all of it, and like so you mentioned, the gaming writing. Well, you, you, when you look at companies, uh, a company taking over a company could be like the Yankees signing a free agent. Right. Are you at at the different. Uh, you know, technological innovations and still people competing against people and underneath everything, whether it's the gaming or now, you know, doing uh, so much writing for the uh, the betting websites, you know, we talk in our business about styles make fights. And I would, I would take that into every element of your life. And you cover a sport, a a, a fast breaking NBA team, will go up against a team that wants to sit on the ball a little bit. A football team, a running team versus a passing team. In anything you see, there's going to be uh, somebody who imposes their will on another. And then they're the team that wins because they were able to apply that. And uh, also, um, I have to tell you, uh, with these things I'm doing now, tapping into the enthusiasm of people surrounding betting because you know without betting there would not be sports because people don't have the uh, they don't have the time to watch a three-hour baseball game no matter how much we love it nobody will sit there or watch it unless they've got action every every few seconds on it
1: it's a good point yeah and it's and it is a a a, a relatively new still a relatively new canvas for writing and and uh broadcasting uh, for people to talk about it I will leave, the, I'll end this interview by by talking about one of the great, one of the things about Dave is that he comes up, he is, I think of you as kind of, uh, I don't want to insult you with this because I'm not specifically related, but you are like the Eric Hoffer of our day, right? You, uh, and I say that in all the best uh, terms of saying Eric Hoffer, and for you young folks, Google him if you don't know who he is. Uh, Dave is the philosopher of sports and life, and one of the One of your greatest lines in history is when you said, look, in baseball, if you get a hit one out of every three times, you are a big success. In life, if you make the right decision one out of three, people are calling you a failure. That's not fair.
2: Yes, and we took that to the five out of eight stage, which is how we live. And I believe if every eight decisions you make in your life, if five of them are good, uh, you're going to have a very prosperous life. Five out of eight is 100 wins in a baseball season. There you go. Something along that line. Six out of eight, uh, you're going to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Seven out of eight, you ended up in the clergy because you didn't have enough time to enjoy the things you should (laughs) have. (laughs) <laughs> I, I tell people to try to keep it between five and a half and six. That will be the best part of their life.
1: Unless you want to be a clergyman, in which case seven out of eight is where you're supposed to aspire
2: to. <laughs> that's where you all, but you have a different calling. Yeah, you're, 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 you're in a different realm. But for most people, I think
1: right, right between five and six is where you want to be. All right. And that, see now that... There, there, for everybody watching and listening, you did not realize that when you, when you tuned into this podcast, you weren't just going to hear Dave talk about boxing and sports and broadcasting. You were going to get meaningful life advice. Uh, and I can't think of anyone better to follow it from than Dave Bontempo. Dave, what a joy to talk to you. Uh, hopefully, if you're unlucky, I won't lose your phone number. And, and I'll be after you again, the guest on here, as the fight, especially as the fights ramp up and we start to see more boxing. It
2: it will be a pleasure. And uh, hey, listen, we can cover uh, a a variety of things. And and as we go along in life, uh, I I really value our friendship that goes back so far. These type of things mean so much now at this point in our lives. These are the these are the prizes we've collected along the way, these friendships. And so uh, a great line.
1: I would every day, man. That's why, you're, that's why you're a writer. These are the prizes that we've collected along the way. That's a great way to put it. Dave, thank you so much, and uh, we'll visit again soon. Always a pleasure, my brother. Be good. Take care. So that was our chat with Dave Bontempo. Um, <laughs> you will never get anyone to explain the meaning of life better than Dave, Davey B. did in that one segment. <laughs> that may be my, that's going to be my favorite clip from this show for a long, long time. Uh, so it was a lot of fun visiting with DimTrip and uh, going back uh, on memory lane to uh, all the times I worked with him.
0: Well, that is fun. Now you, you've done both. You've done blow by blow, which is the boxing term for play by play. Right. And you do color, which do you prefer?
1: You know, it's funny. Uh, I probably, you know, the, doing being the analyst of course is a, a different role and you, and I enjoy it. I love it, but I love the challenge of doing uh play by play or blow by blow um, probably because I haven't done it as much as I am the analyst I did in my days at ESPN I'm gonna say I probably did overall maybe a uh, hundred shows you know uh, as a play-by-play person I mean overall there in 15 years I, I did 50 shows a uh, a year 45 shows a year so if you take 100 that only that equates to about two out of the 15 years that I did <laughs> play by play uh and uh and I've done it on pay-per-view matches I've also sat in uh at Showtime doing play-by-play uh hosting for on Showbox I even did a uh, I sat in for Rural when we did MMA a couple of times which was a lot of fun and of course Play by play is what I would do there because i'm not an analyst'm uh, not qualified to be an analyst on mixed martial arts uh, so i uh, I really love doing it and i and I like it because you get a chance to use a different set of skills you you, you, you know you're you're setting the table for the analyst you're uh, you're being the uh, point guard to make sure everything gets distributed and you're uh kind of Setting the course of the ship, the broadcasting ship. So I find that interesting and fascinating. And one of the things that uh, I I enjoy about it is having the discipline to do those tasks and not find myself veering into doing analysis, which, of course, unfortunately, without naming names, a lot of play-by-play boxing broadcasters in recent years have done. Uh, They, for some reason, seem bored or unwilling to do the actual work of a play-by-play blow-by-blow announcer. And they're either too busy giving their own analysis or constantly asking questions or whatever. Uh, and I, I find that I like the idea that of course I could do analysis since I've, that's what I do, but I try and stick with what my role is. And so I enjoy doing that. I, it'd be hard for me to say which one I like better. Um, I've done less play-by-play in recent years, uh, though I still have done, done it. And I always enjoy, uh, I did one recently on a pay-per-view. In fact, it was the last show I did before the pandemic hit. I did a, uh, a pay-per-view uh, that was syndicated in Dallas, Texas. And uh, I worked with Paula uh, among uh, and, and another analyst, and it was, it was a lot of fun.
0: But, you know, uh, you almost got me thrown out of a casino bar Ah. a number of years ago after a hockey game you were doing an espn basketball game and i tried to get the bartender to turn the volume down on the music in the casino <laughs> so i could hear you do play by play ah okay that is not a way to win any friends in a casino no the
1: yeah they didn't want no that there's you know nothing good comes out of trying to get someone anywhere to turn <laughs> a tv uh, to the channel you want it or the level you want it. I don't know. I don't know any time that story has ended well right in the, it, <laughs> a doctor's office or, a, or a waiting room or it's a bar or it's a restaurant it never ends well so yeah I, I was uh, hap- I did do play by play on a number of games on uh, ESPN, I loved doing basketball play by play. And I did a bunch of big sky conference games. Uh, and part of the problem is of course I was doing so much boxing, 45 shows per year, uh, that I didn't, I wasn't able to be plugged in to do a full, uh, slate of, uh, games for, uh, for maybe a conference, because I was so busy with the boxing, but I was able to do, uh, do a bunch for a couple of years and that was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and again when you're at the bar saying turn up the audio on the Montana game.
1: No. You're right. not right. It, it was anything. Montana. Boy, do you have a yeah. good memory? I, it scares me. <laughs> Holy cow. It was I remember doing a Montana game. So you're <laughs> the Grizzlies, <laughs> I believe, aren't they? They are. And, and
0: they still are. Okay, we've got a couple great questions. Um Wayne Turmal asked, uh Clay Collard is on quite a run. Is he for real, or is this the boxing version of Lynn Sanity? Great yeah. reference there. And will he revert back to the norm soon?
1: Smart yeah, question. Yeah, yeah. Jeremy Lynn, the fine player who uh, had that un- unbelievable run with the Knicks and has been a solid NBA player uh, even after that, but never quite a- got back to that amazing run. Clay Collard, of course, a has become the, kind of the breakout star of the top-ranked uh, summer series that they did. Uh he is a 27-year-old a, a who was an MMA fighter who got a late start in boxing. Uh, 2017, I believe, he began his boxing career. And then, you know, it up had some some ups and downs for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, you know, as he learned the sport better and got more into doing the boxing uh, coming over from MMA, he started to improve. And in his last four fights, uh he has won all four of them. Three of them came against undefeated fighters uh, on the summer series, and he became kind of a folk hero. So uh, you know, to boxing fans that were watching that, here's what he has going for him that would make you believe that. While he whether he becomes an all-time great is a whole nother story, but will he become a fighter that could ultimately? win an important fight and maybe even challenge for a title it's possible and the reason I say it's possible is because he's shown improvement you see him and you realize he's got fast hands still working on the technique but he is uh, you know a a tough fighter which you would think coming from the mixed martial arts uh, discipline and he is exuberant and he is dedicated And when you put all that together, and he's still only 27, so it's not, well, it's getting up there a little bit. It's not, certainly not an age where you think somebody's career uh, should fall off. You can still be learning and getting better at that age. And that's precisely what he's doing. So not only does it look like Clay Collard can, I think, go on and continue to be a very good fighter. I hope he does. He's a delightful guy, uh, and uh, he's created a very fun story uh, in boxing at a time when that sport like any others could use could use a fun story because we're trying to just get back and have competition
0: so a quick follow-up what would be tougher switching from boxing to mma or vice versa
1: oh much tougher to switch to mma uh even though a lot of the mma fighters have tried to come to boxing and some have had mixed success if you're going to switch from one sport to the other you're you're more likely to be able to make the switch from boxing to, to mixed martial arts because if you're going to switch to mixed martial arts, you, you, you need to have had experience in at least one of the other uh, disciplines. Holly Holm, let's take her as an example, a terrific woman's uh, fighter, uh, champion, at various times considered maybe the best woman boxer on the planet. She was a kickboxer before she boxed. She spent a lot of time. She didn't just rush right into MMA. She took plenty of time and worked with some top trainers um, to get herself ready to make her her MMA uh, debut. She was able to do it and do it very successfully. Of course, she was a champion and still has aspirations to be a champion and beat Ronda Rousey uh, in a very you know historic evening. So. You can make the transition from boxing to mixed martial arts if you already have experience in one of the other disciplines, and even then it's difficult. Um, But, you know, you have to have that. If you just say, I'm a boxer and I want to become a mixed martial artist, if you don't have experience in one of the other disciplines, you need to devote at least a year to training with top uh, MMA folks to see if you can make that transition. Okay.
0: Great answer. So I've got another question and this goes to something that will only be controversial for the rest of time. And that's yeah, judging. Right. Yeah. Franklin Alvarez writes, Hey Al, in your opinion, what would be the best way to improve judging? It has to be addressed, but we seem too complacent with the status quo. Every card I dread hearing, every card I dread hearing scorecards, especially with the whole A and B side yeah. culture that plagues the sport.
1: Yeah, this, uh, this is a twofold question. One of the, the parts, which is very difficult to get into, and has no, I don't know if it has an answer, uh, other than commissions being very uh, aware of it and paying attention to it, and also having the will to change it. When a very well-known fighter, who is a favorite in the sport, is fighting someone that isn't well-known and isn't a star. Is there an unconscious bias by the judges to the star? And that is especially dangerous if it is there in the early rounds, because here's what happens. Sometimes these quote unquote B-side fighters will all of a sudden find themselves in round four of a fight and we look after the fight's over we look on some of these scorecards and we see that maybe they didn't win any of those rounds or or only won one of them and then maybe they're winning some rounds after that but in the early going that whether it's true or not true it would appear that some judges Kind of have a preconceived notion of who's going to likely to do well in that fight and if these were close rounds or they're going to end up leaning toward the a fighter the a side fighter i don't know what you do about that it's wrong and uh it also by the way infects my profession the announcers which annoys me to no end uh it is the bane of my existence uh, that there are uh, boxing announcers who call fights from the standpoint of the fighter who is the A side of the And by the way, here's a trick. Next time you're listening to a fight and you hear an announcer refer to the star or, or any fighter, a specific fighter by his first name and they're referring to the other fighter by his last name. That's how their unconscious bias comes out. They don't even know they're doing it but they do it. So that's a tip for you. When you hear that, you know, that you got a problem, but so that's where, you know, these early rounds, especially for judges, the only way to combat that is for commissions to pay attention to it, look at it, review the cards of that judge when it's in that situation uh, and make sure. Now the other problem is pure competence. How do we get uh, boxing judges to score these rounds fairly when they're trying to score it fairly, but they're missing the mark. Um, now, I know that, and this also speaks to the philosophy of judging. Isn't that, this is like the third element to all this. Do you, if, if I land 20 punches and you land 12, my 20 are all legitimate punches. But nine of the 12 that the person that landed the 12 seemed kind of hard. And maybe they looked like they affected a person more, but there was no knockdown. Okay? Who do I give that round to? Now, in my opinion, that round should go to the person that landed 20 punches. Because if they're legal punches and you've adjudicated them as a judge to be legal punches that landed, he has done more effective work uh, and because you can't, there's no way to tell quantitatively whether those nine punches that I said seemed harder. How much damage did they do? Did they do a lot of damage? Uh, maybe if you could go for those nine punches, if the guy's knees buckled and he, and he reeled across the ring, I don't know. But even so my, in my opinion, if you landed 20 punches and they're all legal and they all count you win now, Lots of times, there's very close rounds in boxing, and those are the ones that I think people have a hard time. To- These are the ones that cre- end up creating uh, decisions that are questionable to people. Now, some boxing uh, folks will recoil when I say this. You might even recoil, Trip. I don't <laughs> know. So if I see you recoiling, I'm going to know that I I I was right. Um, while I don't believe that probably in the pro ranks you can do computerized scoring and it's even had mixed, uh, you know, results, good, bad uh, in the amateur going. I do believe that judges need to be reminded of what they thought they saw in a round. Uh, And I think anything you can do to help remind yourself is, is good. Here's what I would do uh, if I was running boxing. I would have a giant button on the right and a giant button on the left that the judge didn't have to look down to see. And they're looking at it, and they think one fighter scored it, they touched that. They think another, they touched the other one. And it is purely a reminder to them. At the end of the round, they hit a printout button, and they get a printout of what they scored in that round. Now, it's not official. It's only a guide to them. But it would remind them of what they thought were legal punches. Now CompuBox, which, which does the fights for us at Showtime and other, other net, many other networks, they always have one person watching one fighter and one person watching another. And that's the only true way to count punches. So one person counting is not, might not be 100% accurate, but it's going to give that judge a reminder of what they thought. We so often hear about judges remembering the last minute of a round more than they remembered the first minute of the round. This is one way to help mitigate that. So I would like to see that. And I think that printout at the end of the round would give that judge a chance to at least remember what it was they thought they saw. They could still go against that and say, well, you know, it's, it's close. Let's say they, they, they hit that printout and it's, 16 punches landed by fighter a and 14 for fighter b well it's perfectly reasonable for them to say well but i still have the feeling that fighter b won and i and i'm going to give them the round so that's one of the things that i would do uh if i was the czar of boxing
0: so al i've seen chairman of the nevada state athletic commission looking like they were having bad days do (laughs) they go back with judges afterwards what's the what's the process after a fight is over?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, a commission like the Nevada Athletic Commission and many others, uh, especially the larger ones that are having so much boxing, they do review things with their, their judges. They have m- meetings with a number of judges. They'll have meetings with specific judges after they've reviewed things. They oftentimes go through video fights. Uh, I know boxing fans look at it and can't believe that's so but, uh, sometimes, but uh, they do. And they, you know, their heart's in the right place. They want to get it right. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, they try to get with the judges, talk about what's happening, and see if they can uh, fix issues uh, if, in fact, the judges are having any. And, of course, that has to do with um, close decisions, decisions that people think have been inappropriate, um, all the rest. And uh, so they, they're working to try and fix the issue. But as I pointed out, the issue is sometimes twofold. You know, Sometimes it's a subconscious thing that the judges are having, may have in their brain, and sometimes it's the actual uh, function of the job. Well, in a
0: future show, how about this for a tease? You'll come back and mention – Name the worst judges in the history of boxing, oh and announce play-by-play announcers, blow-by-blow announcers who yeah. also do color. Can we do that for next week?
1: Yeah. Trip, Trip has uh, is obvious. This is like the third or fourth time that you've suggested things that are clearly <laughs> career breakers for me. Um, so I'm starting to feel that there's a conspiracy at play here. But uh, nonetheless, okay, well, <laughs> so it's my job to it's my, it's my job to resist. <laughs> Your temptations. Although, actually, you're probably doing it for the benefit of the show, because I'm sure that would attract more uh, listeners and viewers, because uh, we could promote that and uh, and it would create giant controversy. So maybe that's what it is. Um, yeah, we, and I, I can think of
0: two or, two or three announcers right now that I want to hear about after the show.
1: <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, Speaking of announcers, and we've in- interviewed a number of them. Next week, uh, ne- on our next episode, we're going to be chatting with a young lady who uh, has uh, broken some uh, new ground and uh, created some history. She is uh, the first uh, woman to do play-by-play on a series of boxing matches. She does the, uh, now does the play-by-play on the international broadcasts of the uh, uh, for Top Rank. And uh, she has worked with Top Rank for uh, – a period of years now uh, reporting, uh, working on fights. Uh, her name is Christina Poncher. She is uh, a terrific person and very talented broadcaster who I uh, happily was able to provide her start in broadcasting when I was the um, running the boxing channel, the internet uh, channel, uh, video boxing channel. And I gave her an opportunity where she had been behind the camera most of the time as a producer and working in mostly many other sports, but had a great interest in boxing. I was able to give her an opportunity to, to work on boxing, and that helped lead to some of the other opportunities that she's had. Uh, and, of course, she has run with them and done a terrific job. So in our next episode, we'll be visiting with Christina Poncher, who is a total delight, and, um, and you will find her. Extremely interesting. Well, I hope this episode was interesting to you. Uh, my thanks to Tripp uh, for his fine efforts. My thanks to Lee, our producer, who keeps us all on the right track here. And uh, we will look forward to seeing you next time on Al Bernstein Unplugged.